0: Great truths to sing with, aren't they? <laughs> my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church. Melissa was talking about uh, camp signups today that begin at 1 o'clock. And my wife Marie and I have designed a master plan. Uh, I'm just going to speak until 1.05. And then she's going to have the first opportunity to register. She's in the back right now with the laptop open. So we'll beat all of you guys to that. I guess you all have smartphones too, though, don't you? (laughs) Okay, as we start our sermon here today, we're going to do a little choose your own adventure. Would you rather have the bad news first, or would you rather hear preach the good news first? So let's do like a little audience participation poll here, because we want to go with what the group thinks. So we're together. So what would you like to do? Would you like to hear the bad news first and get it over with?
1: Anybody want to hear the
0: good news first because you have to leave somewhere in like 20 minutes. (laughs) All right, all right. You You are gluttons for punishment. We are going to start with the bad news. I was kind of hoping you'd say that because if you look in your sermon outline, we actually start with the bad news there. So it's a little bit of a trick question there. If you want to pull out your notes, that could be helpful. If you have a Bible, grab that. There's Bibles, they're either blue or yellow, that are in the seat rack in front of you. And we'll be using that to your benefit. So we're going to hear the bad news first. But here is my promise to you is that we will get to the good news. And we'll get to it before 105. But you can't leave before you hear the good news. Okay? So turn to someone that's near you and say, don't leave until you've heard the good news. And maybe you should say, hi, my name is so-and-so, just because I was kind of awkward to say that as your first introduction to them. but You can't leave. Ushers, lock the doors. you got to hear the good news before you leave here today. But we'll start with the bad news. And the bad news can be summed up sort of like this. Is that in this world, things break. In the world that you and I live in, things break. I couldn't have orchestrated this (laughs) any better. But yesterday morning, this is true. Our kids, younger kids, wake up when the sun comes up. So I'm very thankful that next week the time changes because it'll be a little darker at 6 a.m. And so a couple of our kids were up way earlier than I wanted to be on a Saturday morning. And so I stumbled into the kitchen and I opened our cupboards and I reached for a coffee cup And it spilled out and shattered. This is yesterday. And again, prove that we live in a broken world. Things break. I love this coffee cup. We got it at a uh, white elephant gift exchange. I mean, how many people get a usable thing at a white elephant gift exchange? And we got a set of these four club porcelain uh, coffee mugs. They're not very big, but they're just kind of nice to have around the house when you're walking around and filled with coffee. In fact, I was even thinking, like, maybe I could still use it and just fill a little bit of coffee at a time, and just take, like, little sips this way. But I was genuinely sad when this cup broke, but it reminded me that things break. The car company Subaru knows this, and they put together this little ad that kind of humorously pokes fun at the fact that things break. Watch the screen. Bye Mom. That's the heart and these are the ones. What's wrong? Nothing. Sorry. Don't worry about it. Come on, you put it in. <laughs> it's okay. Honey, 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 honey. At our house, we need things that are built to last. That's why we got a Subaru. Subaru Legacy the longest-lasting midsize sedan in its <laughs> class. Love. Anybody 80 any Subaru owners, proud Subaru owners here? Yes, yes, Eric Wakeling, thank you. Uh, yeah, we know that things break. I don't have to convince you of that here this morning. The question, though, is why do things in this world break? Why is my coffee cub, cup experience not just unique to me, but we all nod our heads going, yeah, I've been there. I want to look at the reason, the answer to that question today. We're going to start by looking at the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And so with your Bible or on your phone, turn to the first chapter of the great Old Testament book, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to skip through the first several paragraphs and go right to verse 21 of Isaiah chapter 1. If you're skimming through your Bible, there's no shame in that. You go Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Son of Solomon, and then you hit Isaiah. If you go to Jeremiah, you've gone a little bit too far. Jeremiah 1, verses 21 through 23 is what I want to read to us. What did I say? Just keeping you on your toes. Here we go. This is bad news. You want to hear bad news, huh? All right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm broken, it's true. All right, Isaiah 121. It says how the faithful city has become a harlot. She who was full of justice, righteousness once lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your drink diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow's plea come before them. Stop right there. Here we see the prophet Isaiah describing the city, the great city of Jerusalem, Zion, the place where God instructed David and then ultimately David's son Solomon to build the temple. To be the place where God's presence dwelt, the very city where God chose to be, now is unfaithful, like a prostitute, is selfish, lacks any type of compassion for the marginalized, the widow, the orphan. This describes the city that Isaiah observes in his day. And sometimes, and maybe you're like me, you read passages in the Bible and you don't necessarily take the time to research or consider when was this said? And specifically, who was it said to? If you dig around a little bit in the book of Isaiah, you realize that he is speaking during the times of the kings. Specifically, he's speaking during the time of a king named Ahaz. Ahaz, under his leadership, had led Israel to look like what Isaiah is describing here. I believe in the back of your outline notes, we see a timeline here. And it shows you when Isaiah was prophesying and and kind of the realm and when he was prophesying. You see Jotham, and we skipped him in our King series. Not a bad guy, he was the father of Ahaz did some good things, tried to follow the Lord, and then his son Ahaz appeared on the scene. Around that same time, Isaiah started his ministry of prophecy. Micah the prophet, who also has an Old Testament book named after him, it was also contemporary of Isaiah. And I think it's just kind of fascinating as you see the lines of the kings here, starting from Saul and then going all the way until there's captivity in the north, and then in the south, the Babylonians eventually take over there. And then you read about Daniel and others. So we're, we're heading towards captivity for both the northern and the southern kingdom. And here's Isaiah begging and pleading here in this great Old Testament book. Israel, repent. Turn back. You've walked so far away from God. And Isaiah calls the great city of Jerusalem here in chapter 1 a harlot. He reserves his harshest words to critique the leadership of their leader, King Ahaz. I want you to get to know this king a little bit. This is part of the bad news. Everything breaks. So go from Isaiah chapter 1 and now go left in your Bible, backwards to 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Not 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Starting in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 28, we read about this guy, Ahaz. 2 Chronicles 28 1 says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. Do you notice a lot of the kings that we've been studying stepped into leadership at a pretty young age, huh? He was 20 years old when he became the leader. And he reigned only 16 years, more than some, but less than others. 16 years in the city of Jerusalem, so about to the age of 36. And then look as verse 1 continues here, Second Chronicles 28. And he did not do right in the sight of the Lord as David, his father, had done. Now there was this line of kings, and as we've studied throughout these last couple months, is there were some leaders who followed God and they led their people in amazing ways. And then there were others that were evil and, and walked away from God so hard that they led thousands, hundreds of thousands, away from God just from their influence. Here's Ahaz. He is in the line of David. Remember, David was prophesied over that in his family, the nations would grow and that they would always have a throne The Messiah is predicted to come through the line of David. And then you have Ahaz, who no one (laughs) would mistake for potentially being the Messiah. In his 16-year reign, he did evil in the sight of God. says that not only did he ignore his family legacy, but verse 2, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for the Baals. So his neighbors up to the north called Israel. And sometimes this is kind of confusing. I'll try to explain it again. Is that Israel's is one great nation, right? And then they start with a united kingdom with Saul and David and Solomon. But then there's a civil war in effect. And so the nation is split. And so you have the northern kingdom, which is called Israel. And you have the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. So Ahaz is the leader of Judah. Jerusalem. This great city that's now become unfaithful is in the southern kingdom. Think NorCal, SoCal. And so Jerusalem is in the southern part of Israel. But Ahaz looks up to the north. He looks at NorCal and goes, hey, I like their stadium. (laughs) I like what they're doing up there. They've had great success. I'm going to follow what they're doing. And sadly, he walks away from God And builds false idols, gods that had no power. It gets worse. Verse 3, 2 Chronicles 28. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hanam. And burned, you got to see this, this is crazy. He burned his sons in fire. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places on the hills and under every green tree. So he walks away from godly family heritage. He begins to follow the false gods of his northern neighbors. And then he walks outside the city gates of Jerusalem into Ben-Hanam, which also was called Hell. And he sacrifices a couple of his sons. 2 Kings 16 also refers to this. And it mentions one son. So maybe 2 Kings records there's one son. And then here in 2 Chronicles, he went back and, and sacrificed more. Can you imagine if you are a parent taking your kids, walking outside of your city, and sacrificing them? It doesn't even make sense. Let me put this even more in context. So Ahaz, living in Jerusalem, the leader of this area, he has the temple. He has the promise of God's presence in the temple. Ahaz walks past the one true God and his presence and goes out of the city and into the valley of Ben-Hanam which they'd often call like a garbage pile. And that's where he chooses to try to find power, try to find answers, try to find fulfillment. This is a terrible analogy, but just even to put it in our context, this would be like you on your birthday going to your favorite restaurant, ordering your favorite meal. You haven't like eaten all day because you've been anticipating this meal. You're so excited the server brings you this meal. It comes before you. you're you about to take a bite, and then you go, "Oh, oh excuse me, come over here, uh, server. Actually, take this away. Do you have like any dry dog food I could replace this with? I'm just going to eat some dog food instead." You'd be like, people around you'd be like, "You're crazy! What are you doing?" It's a really dumb analogy, but just go with me on this. Is this is Ahaz walking past the one? true God and going outside the city into a garbage dump that people called hell and thinking that he can find answers there. You see the sin of Ahaz. He's an evil man. He has no heart, no empathy, no emotion, no conscience. And we see how his sin breaks up his family, literally kills His sons. Ahaz probably never set out when he was 20 years old to go, you know what? I have a great plan. I'm going to gain power. I'm going to kind of rule Jerusalem for a little while. And then I'll have a couple kids. And then, you know, I'll probably throw them in a fire. (laughs) It's not where he started off. But that's where he ended up. Ahaz's sin broke his family. Our sin breaks our families. Some of you, I don't know if you can see this from where you sit, but this is the Betty Lou, and I'll practice my French here, L'Amour Justice Center. Some of you know this place. I've been here for great reasons. Uh, At this seven-story building is where adoptions here in Orange County are certified and finalized. Maybe you've been here for one of those too, and it's a great moment watching a family become a forever family. As a family says, we choose you. That's the highlights of what happens in this building. But some of you may know that also in this seven-story building, which is located, you know, where the outlets of Orange are near UCI Hospital. This is the location where divorces become final here in Orange County. This is where child custody battles take place. This is where restraining orders are put into practice. There's actually some people here at Calvary that work in this building. And this is their mission field. They see this as a place that, well, I'm bringing Christ into a really dark place. We need more people to do that even. In fact, I was even thinking as I saw this photo, how cool would it be if we started a ministry here at Calvary we're like, we just had a group of people that stood in this courtyard outside this building and just like gave out free coffee and donuts. <laughs> and just said, we know you're going through a hard thing. Whatever you're doing inside there, we know it's going to be hard. We just want to know that God's with you. He loves you. He can redeem your story. I don't know. But let's talk about it afterwards. But this building represents here in Orange County brokenness. Broken families. And I know, even just I'm seeing some faces now, I know some of you have had to go in here. You've experienced this. Sin breaks families. You know, in California, there is uh, a law here, or a thing that we call no-fault divorce. It's the idea that couples that are married can get divorced without necessarily having a necessary reason to get divorced. And yet we know that there's no such thing as no fault, right? <laughs> that each of us brings our selfishness, our sin, into families. And often that sin overwhelms relationships and breaks them apart. It's not just divorce, though. Think about friendships you've had. You know, like on Facebook, when like, it scrolls through and it goes like, you know, eight years ago you were doing this. Have you ever had like a photo pop up on that and it's like of a friend that you no longer talk to? And you're like, awkward. (laughs) Sin breaks families. Sin breaks relationships. Ahaz's story shows us another example of that. And as families and relationships break apart, cities are broken apart. Neighborhoods are broken apart. That's what happens in Ahaz's time. Look at Second Chronicles twenty eight, verse five. Says Whenever the Lord his God, or wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Aram, and they defeated him and carried him away from a great number of captives, and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who inflicted him with heavy casualties. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, slew in Judah 120,000 in one day. All valiant men because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. This is a civil war. Norcal invades Socal. These are brothers and sisters. And they fight and 120,000 from the southern kingdom are killed. These are dads of families wiped out. In verse 7, it says, And Zechariah, a mighty man of Ephraim, slew Messiah, the king's son. So another one of Ahaz's sons dies. And Aracham, the ruler of the house of Elkanah, the second of the king. And the sons of Israel carried away, captive of their brethren, 200,000 women, sons, and daughters. So the northern kingdom takes 200,000 from the southern kingdom. And basically has the idea to make them slaves. Verse 9, but a prophet of the Lord who's there, his name was Oded. And he went out to meet the army which came to Samaria, and he said to them, Behold, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he's delivered them into your hand, and you have slain them in a rage which has even reached heaven. Now you're proposing to subjugate to yourselves the people of Judah and Jerusalem for male and female slaves. Surely you do not have transgressions of your own against the Lord your God. I love prophets in the Old Testament. The boldness that they have. Basically, he's saying, you're taking your brothers from the south. You know, that's because of their disobedience to God under the kinship and le- leadership of Ahaz. Oh, but by the way, how's, how's your heart doing? And at that conviction... Verse 12, so some of the heads of the sons of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Johanan, and you can see those names there. Verse 13, and he said to them, you must not bring the captives in here, for you are proposing to bring upon us guilt against the Lord, adding to our sins and to our guilt. For our guilt is great, so that his burning anger is against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the officers and all the assembly. Then the men who were designated by name arose, took the captives, and they clothed all their naked ones from the spoil. And they gave them clothes and sandals, fed them and gave them drink, anointed them with oil, led all their feeble ones on donkeys, and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brothers. And then they returned to Samaria. So Judah is ravished, hundreds of thousands of people killed, taken as captives, and yet God intervenes for them and has grace, even in their disobedience and unfaithfulness. And he convicts the northern kingdom and allows the captives to return to some sense of normalcy. But what we see here is that the cities of Judah are broken because of Ahaz's sin, because of their own too. Look at verse 16. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria for help. So he still doesn't get it. They're broken, and yet he still doesn't cry out for God. Verse 17, for again the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and of the Negev of Judah and had taken Bethmesh and Hajalon and Gederoth and Soko with its villages, Timnah and its villages, and Gibzmo with its villages, and they settled there. Look at verse 19. This is This is telling. For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah, and he was very unfaithful to the Lord. Look at verse 22. Now in the time of his distress, this same king Ahaz, Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord. And then look at verse 25, 2 Chronicles 28. In every city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods, And provoke the Lord, the God of his fathers, to anger. So Ahaz just continues to repeat mistake after mistake, which we can kind of relate to, huh? Often when sin breaks things in your lives, you think, okay, I got to fix this somehow. What can I do to restore and repair the brokenness that I'm experiencing in my life? I know what I do. I'll do. I'll try harder. I'll I'll go visit this philosophy. I'll go change this part of my lifestyle. We start scrambling trying to find things to fix the brokenness. Just like Ahaz. And what happens is things continue to break. And break. And break. This is Ahaz's story. This was Israel's story. This is our story. Sin breaks cities. We live here and, or we sit here today in the beautiful city of Santa Ana. There are so many wonderful things about Santa Ana. There are godly people who are committed to this city, who love this city, who serve this city in ways that no one will ever read about every single day. I love this city. I love the fact that we don't have to shovel snow to get here today. Isn't that great? I love the fact that wherever you reside, whether it's Santa Ana or some of the closer cities around here, you're like five minutes away from Disneyland. Disneyland! If the 11-year-old me would have known how close I would live to Disneyland when I grew up, he'd be like blown away. Like, what? No way! Don't you go there every day? No, I'm a pastor, you see, so I... (laughs) But there's a lot of brokenness, even particularly here in our city. Our city of Santa Ana averages eight domestic violence calls per night, which is the leading city in, in California. Over 3,000 a year domestic violence uh, calls are made to our Santa Ana Police Department. Our city on, I believe it was January 19th, experienced Five different drive by shootings in five different locations in our city in one night. The day after Valentine's Day, February 15th, 17 people were arrested on Harbor Boulevard here in our city for trying to solicit a prostitute. Our city is broken. Our cities of Orange County, there's 34 of them, you probably live in one, are broken. I don't have to remind you of that, just kind of the reality, huh? Sin breaks families, sin breaks relationships, sin breaks cities. So this coffee cup, yesterday it breaks, it's early in the morning, I'm tired, I haven't had coffee yet. And so I get a paper towel, and I wet it, and I just kind of start, like, wiping up the kitchen floor, hoping to get, like, the particles that had broken off. You ever done that? But really, I should have gotten, like, the broom and, like, the little sweep and the little, uh, what's it called? Um, Yeah, just keeping you awake. And uh, I should have done that. should have vacuumed it. But I was lazy. I was tired. And so I just kind of paper toweled it. And then I continued to walk around the kitchen barefoot because I'm smart. And I stepped on a piece of glass. And I can feel it right now. (laughs) I'm okay. I'm not bleeding. But it hurt. It still hurts. Brokenness hurts. Sin causes brokenness. And no one likes brokenness because it hurts. I know you personally have been hurt over and over and over and over again by sin. And the brokenness that it has caused in your life. We don't like things that are broken. The second law of thermonuclear dynamics (laughs) says that things burn out, things don't get better. It's the law of entropy. It's the idea that if you light a candle, it doesn't, after an hour, get bigger, it burns down. If you park a Tesla in the middle of Joshua Tree National Park and then you come back 30 years from now, is it going to be nicer and newer or older and more broken down? No, it's a Tesla. It'll be fine. (laughs) Things break down. There's actually a law that's been observed by scientists that say that. Well, the reason that things break down is because sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, our first parents, said, we think we know better than God. And they chose to do their own thing rather than God's thing. And the result of that decision was that sin came in the world. The second law of thermonuclear dynamics came into this world at that moment. And the world began breaking down, one person at a time, one family at a time, one city at a time. And God was watching that. God was intervening in that. The story of the kings are examples of of God saying, okay, uh, come back to me. You're causing yourself so much pain Because of the sin that's causing brokenness. Don't wear barefoot, don't have bare feet in the kitchen. Come back to me. I'll heal you. I'll protect you. I'm with you. And the people don't get it time after time. But then, I hope you've all been staying and waiting for this good news. Something happens. You're in 2 Chronicles 28. Now go back to Isaiah. You were just there. You can find it again. Go to Isaiah, not chapter 1, but Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Look at verse 10. This is good. This is really good news. Verse 10 says this. Then the Lord spoke to, who does your Bible say they spoke to? Ahaz. The very guy we were just looking at in Second Chronicles 28. The Lord spoke to him through the prophet Isaiah. And you know what he said? Keep reading. This is Isaiah 7 verse 11. Ask and assign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask nor will I test the Lord. As he misquotes scripture right here. Ahaz refuses God's prompting and leading. Isaiah speaking for God then says in verse 13. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you'll try the patience of my God as well? This, what I would argue, is one of the worst moments of Ahaz's life. Yeah, throwing your kids in the fire, that, <laughs> that's pretty bad. But here he is questioning God. Here he is pushing away from the table. God is inviting him. And Ahaz says, I'm good. You would think at this moment that God would say, Fine, I am done with Israel. Peace out. You guys can just figure out the rest of your lives. You're going to just keep on breaking yourself and stepping on the glasses. Go ahead, be my guest. I'm done. But look what verse 14 says of Isaiah chapter 7. You've read it at Christmas time. Now read it here today with fresh eyes. Therefore, The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. In the lowest moment of Ahaz's life, in his rage of rebellion, In a nation that was unfaithful to God, God just drops the good news. Your brokenness is going to be dealt with. But the way it's going to be dealt with is by me coming into your world. Go from Isaiah 7 now, go into Matthew 1. Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And it says this. You may recognize this. It's from Isaiah 7. Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son... And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. You see, sin breaks things. God breaks sin. God breaks sin. The bad news is sin destroys and breaks things. The good news, God breaks sin. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the one to save you from your sins. The Bible makes this so clear. This is part of God's plan. None of this came about because he was like, oh, whoa, how, how am I going to fix this? God was in control. At all times, in all ways. And he's proclaiming to us his good news. This isn't old news. This is good news. God is with us. And when you receive that message, when you say, okay, I believe that I'm a sinner, that on my own I break things. God, I just throw myself at your mercy and I say, you be my savior. You forgive my sins. You be the Lord, the leader of my life. Your Holy Spirit, you come into me. You give me the strength to live this life. Oh, then you can live out this good news. Good news that supports and encourages broken families. Good news that says I'm called to invest in cities, as a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what we're called to do. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And we're going to reflect and remember and celebrate that we don't live in a world just with bad news of brokenness, but we live in a world with good news. Good news that's available to us. And as you prepare your hearts, and I prepare my heart for communion, I want you to consider a couple of next steps to this good news. One is, maybe you're in a spot right now and you're experiencing a lot of brokenness because of sin. Make today the day that you confess your sins. You invite Jesus Christ to be the leader, the Lord, the Savior of your life, to forgive you once and for all. Another next step could be is I just need to take a step forward in my walk with Jesus. We have a, great, a lot of great things happening on Wednesday night. One in particular is called Discover Jesus. Isn't that a great name? It's Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. You should come. A third way that you can just celebrate and proclaim the good news of Jesus is next month we're going to gather together with 10 other churches here in the city of Santa Ana, and we're just going to love on the Townsend Street neighborhood here in our city. We're just going to paint some walls and play with kids and give out some resources, but ultimately it's to it's proclaim a, a much bigger thing, and that is that although we live in brokenness, Emmanuel breaks sin. And so with that in mind, let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts to take communion and make that our act of worship. Father, thank you so much that in a place where there's so much bad news, Lord, we get to just celebrate here in this moment, in this space, the good news. The good news that was originally proclaimed to Ahaz but is now proclaimed to us. That you've come into this world. Father, thank you. May our response be worship. In Christ's name, amen. As we begin in worship, we're going to have the elements passed. And what we'd ask you to do is just hold on to them. And then we'll take them in a few minutes corporately together as a family.